how much you've been blessed. Amen. And how much we have had fabulous acts hard to follow. <laughs> I, you know, 10 weeks on the kingdom of God, it was just incredible. You know, going all back into the scholarly work of uh, Michael Payne and, and just the renewing we have had in this past year. And he goes on vacation. And, okay, fortunately, um, I'll give you one quick word that I'm going to be introducing in a few minutes. Um, it's called Vox Day, the voice of God. Pray with me, please. Lord, you are truth. More, you are life. Whatever I have to fumble through, Lord, I pray, we pray that the voice of God would be speaking the word of God into our hearts and our minds this morning and right now. It's because we are yours and we know that you have truth and life for us. Well, Lord, I'm ready for a dose of it now. Bring it on for your glory. Amen. Amen. I'm calling my message the innermost sphere, which, like I've told some people, that sounds very intriguing and tells you absolutely nothing. <laughs> which is, so I got a little of that artisticness. What's, what's the fear? The sphere that I am talking about, we have social spheres. We all have several different spheres, okay? Um, at work, you have a sphere. There's other people. You have a relationship there. There's, um, there's there are certain functions and protocols, certain procedures and stuff like that. Um, you might be a colleague, a supervisor, a subordinate. There's also the sphere of your neighborhood. You know, those guys behind the woods and you don't know who's inside the house. There's people there and sometimes you get out and manage to see them. And the relationships are different. You're not the supervisor there. Okay, you're not the subordinate there. Protocols, rules, responsibility, they're, they're different, okay? You have social circles, you have friends, um, and all of a sudden you need to be a bit of a different person merely because of the relationships that are there, what's going on. Um, going outward, we're citizens of our local communities. We have responsibilities, roles in a secular world to participate in things like government, paying taxes, all that fun stuff. We are citizens of our nation. We're citizens in the world. And, you know, our relationships are different there. Let's draw inward now, okay? We have families. We have physical families. Oh, boy, talk of some of the protocols and relationships and rules that go on there, okay? Um, 
I'm going to get even closer then. You got, we have marriages. The roles, the responsibilities, the way it works, the way that we interact is, is different once again when you get down to there. The innermost sphere that I'm talking about is even one shell more inside than that. It's what I'm calling your most innermost sphere. What is this? This is where you have your own private thoughts. It's where you think about everything and everyone. You have your own perceptions, reasonings, desires, fears, passions, opinions. It's the place where you explain to yourself the way that things really ought to be. A favorite activity of ours. This is the world according to you. And what's interesting about this innermost sphere is that it is a really, really, really big world inside of your little head. Okay? All of creation that you are intellectually aware of, that you've experienced, all the places you've gone to, um, is, is that you know about are in your sphere. Okay? You know about them, you're in awareness. Um, I got, John, I thought of you when I came up with this one part. Have you ever imagined being on Mars? <laughs> I'm not talking about something fantastical. Don't, I'm not talking about make up some weird planet like they have in Star Trek or something. You can get out a telescope, you can see Mars. Okay? We have rovers that are giving us close-up pictures there. It's actually a real place in time and space, and you can it's part of your world, and you can actually like, imagine being there with some level of factual reality. One day, well, I don't know if it's your children, grandchildren, somebody's going to be standing there. Okay? It's in your sphere. You've you got a big world in your little head of imagination, the world that you're coping with. That's the physical world. You've got social world. All the people that you know, that you read about, that you interact with. We just went through a list of some of them. In your inner, inner sphere, you have your own understanding about other people. What's wrong with them. What they do, how they really should be. Make that everybody else that you've ever known. That's a big crowd. That's a really big world inside of your little head, inside of your innermost sphere. Okay, there's a lot going on in there. The world as I see it. The world according to me, how you think that things really should be. You can write a book. I'm going to tell a little story on my sister. Too bad she's not here, but okay, well, that's sibling stuff. I was in the car with my sister about a year ago, and I, she doesn't like driving. She's a bit of a nervous type, and we were on the interstate on 81. We had one of these trucks, the tandems, the two-part ones, right on by. Okay. I don't like those things. See if you identify with this. If I were in charge of everything, those things wouldn't be allowed. 
asked her a question. If you were in charge of everything, would you really want to live here? <laughs> it only took one, my wise sister, I mean, she may be flaky otherwise, but very wise sister, she quickly said, you know, no, I don't think I would want to be. I don't think I'd want to live here. So how thick is this book of yours about how everything, really, the way things are, according to my mindset? This is all up in here. It's all in your head. It's in your heart. Because this isn't just intellectual stuff. Matter of fact, it's, it's how you feel. It's who you are on the inside. Um, you know, is that the definition of soul? It's your head and your heart together. Make up your innermost sphere. It's always there. Every moment, wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whatever's going on around you, it's going with you. Um, now, I won't apologize for this, but um, I'm getting really personal, ain't I? Do you feel invaded yet? Okay. I'm digging around in some places where I, I, I can't dig around because I'm not in your animal sphere, but I know it's there. Okay. You're, it's always there. It's that intimate. It's that bare naked. It's a place where we're going to be honest or not honest with ourselves. And you cannot get away from it. You can't get away from yourself. There's something about our innermost sphere that we don't realize, and that's really what I'm talking about this morning. You're not alone in there. You're not alone in there. There's somebody else lurking. And that's place where I was just talking about being invaded. There's somebody in there. Psalm 139. By the way, if you want, I am going to be reading about three, four times from Psalm 39. If you want to stick a finger in there, that would probably be... I'm going to jump around to a lot of places. I'll give you two scriptures. Psalm 139 and uh, Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to refer to that one a couple of times. So just in, if you got two fingers, there's two... Play, you know. Psalm 139, I'm going to start with verses 1 through 6. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Boy, does he have an inside line on you. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So, in this first little thing, in this innermost sphere, not only can you not get away from yourself, you can't get away from the Lord. Okay. Oh, as we explore, we do a lot of things with that. But let's start with that basic fact. You can't get away from the Lord. Continuing on verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I go with John to Mars, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall uphold me. 
If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So, um, yeah, he's there, and you can't get away from him. There's two of you floating around in there. Let's take a look at both yourself and the Lord. We started just a moment ago with who you are and, you know, that nice book that you've got written. Okay. Let's take a quick look over. The Lord, the scripture says we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, just to touch the base, you know, we, we like to take that trinity and make it very rational and split into three people when it's convenient and all in one. So let's not over distill the trinity. Indwelling of the Holy Spirit means you have God living inside of you. You have the life of Christ actually as a separate entity from your heart and mind. You have the life of Christ in there. He's not just an idea. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So let's, what is God like? Let me give you uh, an example of somebody who had an inner sphere experience with the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Okay, there's seraphim in their, their excerpt, but that's fine. Each had six wings. Two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full. The whole earth inside of Isaiah's inner sphere was full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And he said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I, Isaiah, in there, having this experience. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraph flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. I don't know if anybody was watching Isaiah at the time. Might not have seen all that. Do you believe that that actually happened in Isaiah's inner sphere? That there was somebody, not Isaiah, speaking to him? Do you believe that? Isaiah was not on LSD, okay? This was not Isaiah's imagination, his musings. This was God introducing these ideas, this experience, this teaching, this glory, this incredible glory. We love to quote Isaiah 6. I'll give you another, another example. Now, this inner sphere experience, I think, really did happen physically, and you probably would have seen this going on, but still it was what happened to this person, to Elijah. And he said, go and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broken pieces of rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? This powerful God Isaiah saw with the seraphs and the light and all that. And here it is contrasting himself to the earthquake and the wind. It is a still small voice. As powerful, as authoritative, as real an experience for Elijah. I have an example of somebody praying for you and your experience in your innermost sphere. I said, put, put your finger in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell, where? In your hearts, through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love. No, in here, in here. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Back in Psalm 139, 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them? A big, vast sum of thoughts there. If you were to count them, they are more than the sand. I am awake, and I am still with you. Got that right. You can't get away from them. That's the Lord present inside of you. Okay? Now, sorry, I've just talked about the Lord. There's somebody else in there. That's you. I'm going to talk about you a little bit. You're standing there with that book in your hand. Remember the book we talk about? The world according to me. <laughs> Looking at the guy with the seraphs doing this. Okay. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. Every Proverbs 21, 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Let me play out something that, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm in your space. I'm, this is a little intrusive. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. You have heard what, that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. That's what you do with your hands. You go out and, you know, somebody, okay? And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry, Jeff's insertion, so this is the paraphrase part, everyone who is angry in his innermost sphere with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
Skipping on a bit, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Again, that's mechanical, that's out there. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so that's who you are in this innermost sphere. You little stinker. Of course, now, I'm a little harsh there. Just a little bit harsh. We're not merely stinkers because we have been reborn. We have the Lord. What a gift. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 26. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, if any of you guys have finally arrived at that, I'm real quick to sit down and let you come up here and finish off. Until we finally see our Lord face to face, we are experientially this weird, con weird combination of sanctified by the Lord, having the life of Christ living inside of us, and we're still somewhat a little stinker. Okay? I have a term for it. This, nobody else can probably relate to this. It's just a term that I give to myself to help me grapple with this. I call it Christian schizophrenia. Okay, there is kind of, there's you and there's you, and which one of you are you being right now, okay? <laughs> so understanding the true nature of this in between, it's the sanctification process. People go, oh, that's weird. No, it's natural. It's really the way things are now, okay? It's a reality, okay? There's the two of you. You do not need to create this innermost sphere. God created it, and he's in there with you, and it's there 24-7, and you cannot get away from it. There's a great Latin term I hear knocked around. Great precedent. Thank you, R.C. Sproul. Life is lived quorum Deo. Quorum Deo is Latin meaning before the face of God. You live every minute before that face of God. That's a great concept. What is it like to actually live quorum Deo? Right there smack in front of the face of God, 24-7. Tell yourself. This is a great thing to be telling yourself. I am living quorum Deo. It's not something you do. It's just a fact. You realize it or not, but that doesn't change whether it's true or not. Constantly realize who you are, who is there watching, talking, directing, protecting you and what's really going on. Okay, so talk about a weird social sphere. You, God, yeah, it's, we're figuring out how to do this. I'll give you one description of this situation. Genesis 3, 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife 
What a verb. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. This, of course, is the ultimate and original beginning of the phrase, you can run, but you can't hide. All right? Um, I want to read you a children's story. Great. I just read The Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis to my grandsons this past year, okay? If you haven't read this, well, your theological training is not complete. You probably won't. Either you have read this and you know the context or you don't, in which case, I'm not going to give you any context. Go read the book. But I'll only tell you so much that the scene I'm going to read to you is this girl named Jill who's in a lonely place in an innermost sphere, and she has this encounter. There was sort of a background of immense silence. That silence, combined with the freshness of the air, made Jill think that they must be on the top of a very high mountain. She saw huge trees, rather like cedars, but bigger. They grew in every direction. But as they did not grow close together, and as there was no undergrowth, this did not prevent one from seeing a long way into the forest, left and right. As far as she could see, it was all the same. Level turf, birds flying around. Shadows, emptiness. There was not a breath of wind in that cool, bright air. It was very lonely forest. Oh, and she was also very thirsty. She came to an open glade and saw a stream, bright as glass, running across um, the turf a stone's throw away from her. But although the sight of the water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward and drink. She stood as still as if she had been turned to stone with her mouth wide open. And she had a very good reason. Just on this side of the stream lay a lion. It lay with its head raised and its two forepaws out in front of it like the lions in Trafalgar Square. She knew at once that it had seen her for its eyes looked straight into hers. It said, if you're thirsty, come and drink. The voice was not like a man's. It was deeper, wider, stronger, a sort of heavy golden voice. It did not make her any less frightened than she had been before. But it made her frightened in a rather different way. Are you not thirsty? I'm dying of thirst. <laughs> then drink. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do so? The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come. I make no promise. Jill was so thirsty that without noticing it, she had come a step closer. Do you eat girls? I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings, emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as, as if it were boasting, nor if it were being sorry or angry. It just said so matter-of-fact. 
I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. It never occurred to Jill to disbelieve this lion. No one who had seen his stern face could do that, and her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing that she ever had to do, but she went forward to the stream, knelt down, began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. You didn't need to drink much of it, for it quenched your thirst at once. Before she tasted it, she had been uh, intending to make a dash to run away from the lion. The moment she had finished, now she realized that this would be, on the whole, the most dangerous thing of all. She got up, stood there with her lips still wet from drinking. Come here, said the lion. And she had to. She was almost between its front paws now, looking straight into its face. But she couldn't stand that for long. She dropped her eyes. And then she describes this incident where she, basically she had said she had done something wrong and she confessed it. And the lion said, that's a very good answer, human child. Do so no more. And now, and for the first time, the lion's face became just a little less stern. And then, well, you can read the rest of the book. So, isn't that... Lewis was brilliant. I mean, these children's books... I will commend Chronicles of Narnia because Lewis so well and so accurately describes experiences with God in your inner heart. So that's why I wanted to read that to you. Um, I was on here somewhere. Where was I? Narnia, find Narnia. Narnia, 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 Narnia. Oh, there we are. Okay. It's funny how she thinks that in order, that the safe thing to do would be to run away. That's how you avoid being eaten. The safest thing for her to do, to not be eaten, is to not run away. That's fascinating. Fear. Fear the Lord. We started with a very human definition of the word fear. I mean, it means fear. It means run away because people are bad and they're going to stick you. Okay? That's natural. That's logical. That's our realm of understanding. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to develop that fear into something different, something that's actually unnatural to our experience. And the world around us has no idea what it is. It is something that's natural inside the kingdom of God. We can learn about this from his word. And by, like Jill did, experiencing him. She would not have learned how to fear, get over her fear and instead develop a fear if she experienced him. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do.
All this happens in the innermost sphere. Psalm 139, I'm down to verse 23 now. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This you were made for. It's why you were created. To have a continual and eternal communion with God. You were created to be in fellowship with him. Not to know about him. Not to do great things for him. Not even to passionately go out and do things for him to conquer the world. Rather, your passion should be a passion to be with him, to know him before his face. Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. My soul will be satisfied, satisfied, as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you in my bed, and I meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My, flesh, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home. And the swallow finds herself where she may lay, a place where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. I'm going to brag on my wife. Okay? She's read this, so that's implicit permission. All right. Sometimes I feel out of touch. I'm, you know, depressed or just disconnected. I feel lonely. Gee, dear, I feel lonely. Elizabeth very quickly responds in this irritatingly practical, <laughs> matter-of-fact, straight-laced, you know, she goes, I'm never alone. I'm like, wow, okay. I'm never alone. Psalm 16 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be taken. Shaken, excuse me. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoiced. My flesh also dwells secure. There's what I saw. I was going to talk about Vox Day, the voice of God. Thank God we have the, the Word of God. On one level, the Word of God, well, you could say it's $3.50 worth of printing material you can get from Amazon with one click. On a human level, it's much, much more. The faithfulness over centuries of scholars to preserve it, interpret it, keep its integrity. We can study this word of God. We can know all about it, memorize it. The Pharisees were very good at this. They were better at it than we are. We can pick up the word of God and throw it like a brick upside somebody's head. 
we can, okay, do better. We can, with insight, wisdom, explain it to them. But either way, the recipient of that is not going to hear, it's not going to hear the word of God until they hear the voice of God speaking it to them in their innermost being. Matthew 13, this is Jesus. He's quoting Isaiah. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their hearts and understand with their heart and turn, and I would then heal them. People will not, we will not, hear the word of God until we hear the voice of God speaking it into our hearts. This happens in your innermost sphere. Okay? I mean, I'm speaking these words flying around. You need to take this home and have the Lord speak this to you as we prayed at the beginning. I like the Bibles we have on the shelf downstairs. They're paperback NIVs. I don't know if you see them. They're white. The label on the outside says, Vox Dei, Voice of God. I like that. I always like that. And you know, one day, the Word of God is going to be spoken to people who before then had not heard the voice of God. On that day, they will hear His voice. And it will be spoken on that day, finally, in judgment. It will be worse than a brick upside the head. But they'll hear the voice of God, even though hitherto they haven't heard that. How frequent, how nimble, how natural are you at listening for the voice of God in any and all of your specific situations? Here, let me give you a situation. You meet somebody. You talk, it, might be in the, it might be at Walmart. It might be in the foyer here. It might be wherever this is. You meet them being practiced and walking in the consciousness of the Lord's presence in your innermost being, you hear a voice. And that voice says, Egads, what an ugly shirt! You're probably not hearing the voice of God at that moment. Instead, you might hear this. You might hear, this person is made in my image. This person has fallen short of all that I have for them, and they don't know it. Exercise my compassion on them. You are hearing the voice of God speaking the word of God just as real, as tangibly, and as authoritatively as Isaiah did when he saw the Lord with the seraphs doing all of this. That's the voice of God speaking to you. A little bit, just a little bit more practical example. You see that person, and really the word that you hear in your head is, that shirt is too revealing. They really shouldn't be wearing it. You might have had that experience this past week. I mean, this is realistic, okay? How about this is the word that you would hear? Yes, and I know what's going on inside that person that causes them to wear that. Listen to my word for my heart for that person. Hearing the voice of God speak the word of God. Hearing the voice of God speaking what we very conveniently and we're grateful for having, the word of God. 
that's going to best enable you to say, be, do something for that person such that that person will be drawn to the Lord. Do you walk in that kind of constant connectivity, listening for the Word of God? That intimacy, allowing God to invade your very convenient internal space? Do you listen to Vox Day? How about this one? Okay, you know, um, something's terrible happening. I'm in a car accident. Oh, Lord, help me. You know, or I don't know what to do about this. Or this is fabulous. Praise you, Lord. Have you ever talked to God when you're bored? Have you ever um, discussed mundane things with him? I think that he would be interested to be that constantly intimate with you. All right, here's the, here's the example. This is what I've really been looking for. This is fun. This is a practical example. I got some technology in here, okay? Um, I hope you recognize this. <laughs> Believe it or not, some of you might not recognize it. Some of you yeah. do. <laughs> this is a telephone. <laughs> Comes with a really socially significant component feature. It's called a cord. Okay? It's not even a cordless. It's not, a, you know, one of those where you can get like 30 meters away from it and, you know, be, you, you got that much. All right? You guys remember when we used to buy a 20-foot version of the Curly Q? Okay? It would go, you know, all that stuff. Ever since, I still love the cartoon where I saw they drew the cartoon of the person with the 20-foot cord and the cord's going underneath the bathroom door. So they're, you know, like that. More significant cord is this one right here. It plugged into the wall. Okay? So that, that's about what you had. Okay? So do you remember this scene? You know, maybe you were this person. Um, you know, going back however many years ago, the teenage daughter. Mom, I want to call my friend Buffy. Okay, well, first of all, who's Buffy? You know, I, that question doesn't be asked anymore. But the teenage daughter, okay, yes, you may. You got five minutes because dad's got an important phone call coming in. Okay, fine. So she has to stand in the kitchen Talking with Buffy, she's got five minutes. She's got a younger brother. She's trying to do this so that she's not bothering her. Okay? That was the social situation of that eldest daughter. It really impacted how families dealt together, friends dealt together, how we got things done. All right. Now we got this. Where's the cord, you know? No more asking, can I talk with Buffy for five minutes? This is my time limit. She's talking with Buffy. You know, forget the bathroom. She's down the street. She's on the bus. She's at school. She's at Walmart. She's whatever, you know? And, um, you know, and it's not like even some stranger next to her can hear everything, all these precious secrets that she's talking to Buffy because she's doing this. Okay? 
Seriously, how many of you guys have sat on the bench? I've seen it. I've seen you guys. Okay. <laughs> Great invention. It changed how we relate to each other. Okay. The person sitting next to you over here, this guy's going, yeah, we got the bank robbery planned. We're going to knock it off at thus and such a time. I got the bomb set, all that, okay. Over here, you got, well, we're back to those, oh, Buffy, his teeth broke up with me, it's whatever. And we have no idea. All these very strong, you know, incredible social situations going on. Okay. Here's the crux of the question I have. If I, if I don't get any, if I got to cut the sermon off, this is a question that I want to ask you. You have a life with the Lord 24-7. He's right there. Does your communication with the Lord look like this? Occasional, limited, inconvenient. And then you go off and you live the rest of your life somewhere else. Or are you doing this all the time with the Lord? Everything that comes across your life, everything that you encounter, every silly little thing, everything huge thing, you're right there with the Lord, talking with him about it. Can't answer me. You have to answer yourself that one. You have to answer the Lord that one. Because the Lord wants to spend your life with you. Okay? Don't use that thing. Okay, so why don't we do this? I'm going to try to get to the practical spot. I'll try to get through it pretty quick. I've got a few reasons. Why don't we do this? One, fear. Joe was right. We are little sinkers. I cannot spend time with the Lord this morning. Matter of fact, indeed, I cannot go spend time with the Lord this morning because I recognize I'm a sinner and I just can't. Anybody identify with that reasoning in your head? The truth of the matter is there is no other way to go to the Lord, to spend time with the Lord, to hear him, to talk with him. You are a little stinker. And he, to come to the Lord in any other way is a lie. You're going to be who you are. You're going to be Joe, and he's going to be the lion, and you're going to be together in those woods, and that's the way it is. Don't use that as an excuse for not being there with him. Okay? Well, I just combined two of them. Oh, well, that makes it faster. Great. Okay. The opposite problem is, there's an opposite problem. Look at me. I'm Joe Christian. I'm good. I know what's going on. I'll talk with God tomorrow morning. I'll get some wisdom, get some pointers, ask him to help with a matter or two. I can wait. You were made to be in fellowship every moment, not just in your prayer closets. The reason that you were made was to be with him. And besides, you are on life support. You do not need a weekly dialysis. You're on a ventilator. Constantly Stay in constant touch with the Lord. 
is there an idol in the room? There's, what's an idol? Something that you use instead of God. We've got idols. You can talk to the Lord about it. Lord, why do I love Oreo cookies so much? Did you make that recipe, God? Maybe this does reflect your glory somehow, okay? What is here that I celebrate so much more than you? Show me the ways that I love this Oreo cookie more than you. Now, my example is ridiculous. Well, maybe not. Maybe you're into Oreos. I don't know. Um, but just take out, that, take out Oreo, you, in your innermost being, with the Lord talking and helping you to know and see, pray, Lord, what is that thing that's right there that I'm drawing life, purpose, joy, comfort from more so than you? That's a conversation that you're going to have with the Lord, and he will tell you, and maybe it will shock you, but you've got to have your ears open and, and listen to it. Which actually is kind of my next point. Do you got some wax in ears? Do you think you know God so well that he can't teach you something new about him? God will always be teaching you about himself. His ways are not your ways. He's revealing the mysteries of his ways. He is beyond our comprehension. He knows more about himself than you know. He knows more about you than you know. He knows better than you the heart thinking, experiences, context, pain of everybody around you and what's really wrong with him. How dare he? I had him all figured out. Knowing all the rules, I was starting to manage both myself and even manage God some. Okay? Honestly, are you there? Now, what I'm going to say, I really trepidate to say, because it could be taken the wrong way. I hope I communicate this correctly. We have learned the Word of God. We have had the Bible studies. We have, you know, read the things. We, there is truth, hard, solid truth about God. You know some of this. But knowing that, you know, well, let me ask you, are you still open to God telling you something new about him? Maybe correcting something that you thought you knew about him? It's okay to take all that we know about God and to put it into a nice little box. We have our confessions, we have our catechisms, we have, you know, the word of God. We point, see, it's God's like this. Always be willing to let God show you something new about him. Maybe correct your understanding about him. Because as soon as you close the lid on that nice box of orthodoxy, here's the shocking part. You've taken something that is very good, precious, helpful, important. And you've turned it into an idol. You've turned... The word of God. It's possible to take the word of God and to know it so well that you make it an idol. That's not what it's meant for. The word of God is the means to know God from the voice of God speaking to you. Now, here's my last reason, and I think this is the real reason. We're out of practice. We're out of practice. We don't walk around, you know, you know, doing, where's my phone? I lost it. See, I lost my phone already. I can't talk to God. 
Thank you, guys. We're, we're out of practice of doing this. We're in the practice of having our five minutes a day with God. Okay? Do we look at a situation and talk, immediately talk to God about it? Tell me what's going on. Well, this person, I have my opinions, my judgment. No, tell me some truth about this person. God will speak to you in your innermost sphere about that. He'll take his word and he'll apply it. We're not practicing that. We're too busy. We're too busy to listen to God. We're too busy doing things for God than we are able to listen to God. Here, I'm going I'm, I'm to put it this way. Do not be busy for God. Be busy with God. You're not going to do it on your own. He's going to do it with you. Remember high school science class? Lab partners. I hate lab partners. They slow me down. They, they don't understand. They don't, you know, they don't get the point and all that. Life is a lab. We're learning to do life together. By the way, I think the word for that is called discipleship. Is that a word familiar to anybody by now? That's life. God is a great lab partner. He knows. He understands. You want to work with him between what, you know, who he is and what he does inside of you. You will get the job done. God's a great lab partner. You know, we do, when we're trying to be for God, I, here's the bad news. I'm so insulting this morning. We're really bad at doing things for God. We're bad at it. We don't get it. We don't understand. We get the how-to all wrong. We have this counterproductive habit of trying to be self-sufficient. Stop trying to be for God. Be with God. We have two opportunities coming up. We have Good Friday and we have Easter. Good Friday is that great time where, you know, come 7 o'clock, but it doesn't have to be here in 7 o'clock. This just happens to be a corporate time for this. For you to spend time in your innermost sphere, you, you little stinker, and the Lord, Jesus Christ, on the cross, it's not supposed to be a guilt trip. Oh, look at what I did. You know, it's not a gore feast, although I do recommend watching The Passion of the Christ, you know, the, James, the, the um, Mel Gibson movie. Um, but it's not supposed to be about the gore. It's, about, it's supposed to be about you understanding that you are a sinner, but you have been given a new life and that he loves you. And he says, this is the business that's going on. This is what it took for you. Meditate on the real meaning of that, the profundity of that. The, you know, don't go off on this, I'm so guilty. No, you are so repentant. That's where you are in that moment.
I don't need to say much about the next opportunity. One week from today, you'll be in that same innermost sphere. Okay, we'll be here. The music, the flowers, the lilies. Thank you, Wes. It's going to be awesome. You in your innermost sphere, needing life, needing, like Ezekiel read, to be cleansed. And there in that room that you take with you everywhere, that you cannot get away from, and the Lord is there, cleansing you with a new eternal life. Meditate on that. Experience that. Walk with the Lord. Learn to let him dwell in your inmost being and speak to you and give you life. Father, thank you. Thank you that you give us this. Thank you that you made us. You made us because you wanted us. You wanted us to have this live life with you. It's not our idea. It's your idea, Lord. And we're so grateful and we're so amazed. And Father, we are bad at this. Let's just be practical. We like to talk to you on a landline once in a while. <laughs> Teach us how to see the world through your eyes, not through the natural eyes that we have. Teach us to hear your voice and to not be scared of it, even though it speaks to us a new thing, a new thing that we need to hear, something we need to understand about ourselves, about somebody else. Help us sharpen that spiritual discipline of listening to Vox Day. Thank you for loving us so. And as we continue in prayer, Open this up to the floor.